0: You, and many more. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Daring Dialogues Black Table Talk Edition. I am your host, Shantae Charles. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day. I hope that your week has gotten started and gotten off to a great start. I hope you've been mindful on your Monday, and I hope that you have been catching up with us here on Black Tabletop. First things first, I want to say thank you to those who participated on last Friday in our game night. And if you missed game night, you can actually go back and watch it. It was on live stream right here, and you can go back and participate in some of the trivia that we asked. There were prizes that were given out, so we will definitely uh, let you know when we're doing a live stream game night again in the future. Secondly, I want to say thank you to our listeners, our viewers, our followers, our sharers, and those of you who have uh, come alongside us and joined us in just Black uplift, uplift of all things, Black, Black people, Black love black wealth, black polity. Um, You have been an incredible group of people that follow this page. And I just want to say that personally, thank you so much for uh, being who you are. Thank you for uh, keeping it real with me in the comment sections. Thank you for um, conversing with one another in a very um, respectful and honoring way, because that's one of the things that we focus on here is black life and black people. And so we believe in honoring one another. We have enough media and enough pages out here that deal with, you know, ratchet culture and all of that. And I often say, that um, ratchet and black are not synonymous no matter how much people try to make them the same thing they are not the same thing right black people we are not a monolith we are we have our different strengths we have our different personalities we come from various cultures and ethnic backgrounds and so that is what we are all about here and during these broadcasts where i come on live we are reading aloud I often hear people complain about (laughs) not having enough time to read or not having enough time to dive into certain subjects. So while we will talk about some things that are current day news and while we will talk about some current events and some hot topics, um, our main focus is education. Education, inspiration, and motivation along the lines of topics that concern us. So whether that be history or whether that be current events, that is our focus here. So if you're new here, if you're joining us for the first time, I want to be very clear and reiterate what it is that we are about in this space. All right. One of the things that has been coming up lately with current events and current news is the amount of Um, fake news that is, you know, it seems like it's a whole nother wave of fake news that is being generated and being populated. And a lot of people are being sort of deceived and tricked into believing these topics. One of them I just recently posted on a reel was the uh, Kiki Palmer situation. Somebody put out a article that was completely fabricated about uh, Kiki Palmer's partner, And saying that, you know, he was, they were broken up. And, you know, he was asking for custody and all of these different things. And he had to come out and say, listen, no one has talked to me. I haven't talked to anyone. I haven't given anyone an interview. I haven't given anyone permission to be a third party to speak on my behalf. And he just, you know, he had to say, I want people to know that none of this is coming from me. None of this media Or articles or information is being generated by me. And so we want to just caution people to just pay attention to some of the sites that you might be getting your news or your information from, even if it is celebrity news. I also want to point out something else. We've been doing a teaching series on another page that I'm a part of called Life Nation. And in that teaching series, we have started talking about and exploring the origins of artificial intelligence. A lot of people, you know, they may not want to dig into the origins or the foundation of something, but I think it's very important to understand it, um, especially since our world and our society, especially here in the United States, is going further and further and further into artificial intelligence and artificial technologies, right? Right. And so one of the things that we looked at was social media influencers. And I want you to look at this image. This is the top. This is considered the top social media influencers. Okay. So these people are the top social media influencers. This one up top, his name is Knox Frost out of Atlanta. You have Mila Safonia out of Helsinki. Lil Michaela is Time Magazine's, she was Time Magazine's top influencer in 2018. And on the end, Zoe Platinum, who is based in LA and Brooklyn, New York. All right. What makes these people so special? Well, they are 100% artificial intelligence. They are 100% artificially generated. They have millions of followers. (laughs) They have collected money. They have, um, people have paid them through Cash App, through PayPal, through Zelle. And they are 100% false. You do not know who is behind these people, these quote unquote, social media influencers. And some people have not realized that they are completely 100% false. Now, if you go to their pages, it will say, you know, under their description, AI generated, but most people aren't looking up there at the fine print. So these people have had millions of people following them paying them, sending them money for their content, and they are 100% AI generated, all right? One of these influencers, I think it's this one here, it says he has 14,000 girlfriends. (laughs) That means that AI is generating enough original content that 14,000 women or men or both think that he is their partner exclusively. Just let that sink in. All right. So we want to again, caution you about AI, how far it's going. I recently had someone reach out to me and they were trying to sell me on, you know, a sponsorship, right? And so we got through a couple of questions back and forth, and I just said, let me just make sure that this is not some AI generated, you know, um, prompter. So I said to, I emailed back and I said, hey, let's get on a meeting call, let's get on Zoom, or let's get on Google Meet, and let's have a face-to-face conversation about what you are proposing. Immediately, their response was, oh, our company does not allow us to do face-to-face conversations. We hope you understand. And I said, no, I do not understand. And therefore, this conversation <laughs> is over. So you have to be a little bit more discerning these days. You have to um, test as the scripture would say, try the spirit by the spirit. You have to test out what it is that you are encountering these days because sometimes it is a generated computer. It is a generated voice that's speaking to you or even emailing you these days. A lot of these programs are using chat GPT to generate prompts, um, to communicate with people. So, you know, right now, your best bet to to make sure you're actually talking with a person is something like a face-to-face chat. All right. So I just want to put that out there and just be careful and make sure that you aren't being bamboozled. Now, if you're willfully being bamboozled and you know that you're following people or you're following things that are completely AI generated and you're cool with that, that's fine. But a lot of people are not cool with that. They're not cool with finding out that they have been bamboozled <laughs> into thinking that they were following something real. All right? So our topic for today, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be looking at two books and really um, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at resistance and, and the history of resistance and black resistance. Um, I want to start out though, by talking about a group of people that takes part in some of these resistances, and that is the Gullah Geechee people. The Gullah Geechee people. If you have heard of the Gullah Geechee people, type yes into the comment section. If you've heard of the Gullah Geechee people, type yes into the comment section. If you have not, you're going to be learning quite a bit. So, where are the Gullah Geechee people located? The Gullah Geechee uh, people are tend to be located in South Carolina, the Sea Island Coast region, but really, it's an actual it's a corridor, and it goes as far up as North Carolina. There are some Gullah Geechee um, in North Carolina, and it goes all the way down from North Carolina to South Carolina, into Georgia, into Florida. Now, a lot of people think that Gullah Geechee, um, culture tends to stop around Jacksonville. Um, but in talking with some of the people who actually do the research and some scholars, um, you know, have been able to share and clarify, That because you had a lot of the Gullah Geechee going into further parts of Florida, you're gonna find the Gullah Geechee all the way down into South Florida, which is where I am originally from. So you might find Gullah Geechee people as far as Miami um, Homestead uh, area, Um, but they're not. It's not like when someone says a corridor. It's not like everybody is just this straight shot down the, the coast, right? There are some people who are further inland because their descendants chose to go further south or their descendants chose to go further inland. So we're going to look at the Golagichi people. We're going to look at um, their food. We're going to look at their language and all of those things. I'm going to be reading from Dr. Jessica Berry's book, Dr. Jessica Berry is a Gullah Geechee native of Huger, South Carolina. She is a mother, a wife, a scholar, and an advocate for the recognition, celebration, and inclusion of Gullah Geechee into mainstream culture. She is a nationally certified speech language pathologist, a university professor, researcher, and a child language expert. She enjoys educating others about modern Gullah Geechee culture and language. And her favorite saying is, Gullah Geechee Benya, Ibinguan, e or Ibinguan, e nowhere. All right? So, that's one book we're going to be looking at. The second one is by Charles River Editors, and it is called The Gullah. The Gullah. The History and Legacy of the African American Ethnic Group in the American Southeast. Either one of these books can be picked up through Amazon. And hopefully, as we uh, walk through the history portion, we're going to start with language first and then we'll jump over to history. As we walk through this, hopefully, some of this will be familiar to you. I I find a lot of The Gullah Geechee culture is familiar to me because I grew up with a lot of people who had migrated to my small town in South Florida, uh, West Perrine. And then I started digging recently um, into the history of my own town. And I found out that my town was a part of the second Seminole Wars or the Gullah Wars, Gullah and Seminoles um, and free black people and escaped black people. And I found out recently that they were all fighting. (laughs) They were all fighting in my hometown. So now I've got to go do, I've got to go do some more digging. And essentially I want to, um, I want to do some interviews of my elders that are still living. Um, and kind of get their, their history and their approach as well. And really try to preserve and archive their story because they are passing away. So let's hop right in to what Dr. Jessica Berry has to share with us about the little Gullah Geechee book, a guide for the Kamya or a guide for the people who are not familiar with Gullah Geechee. I am so glad you've either decided to visit the beautiful low country or are considering visiting. You have made the right decision by choosing to visit this place that has so much to offer. Also, you're pretty smart for picking up this book that will provide some valuable information about the Gullah Geechee people and the treasure that their tongues hold. So whether you are gonna be a tourist traveling through the Low Country Corridor, a Kamya who has made the Low Country your new home, or a Binya who has been born and raised under the moss of the oak trees, there is always something to learn about the Gullah Geechee. If you are planning to visit the Gullah Geechee Corridor for the first time, Something may have drawn you to the southeastern coast of the United States. It could have been the weather, the charm of the history, or the beaches. Whatever enticed you to come brought you to the right place. Your ears will hear the melodic rhythm of a language unknown to many. You may not know what Gullah Geechee sounds like, but when you question if the black people that you see are from Jamaica, 99% of the time, they are not. They are Gullah This quick read will enlighten you about the language that you will hear or hear about as you navigate the tours, the stores, the restaurants, and the area. The Kamya and the Teacher Charleston and surrounding areas are one of the fastest growing areas, believe it or not, in the United States. I always meet kamyas who relocated to the area for work or play. I've met kamyas from across the country, particularly from the North and Midwest. Each of them brings their own cultural diversity to the existent distinct low country culture. Most have little knowledge that Gullah Geechee exists and are a tree intrigued from afar. Now, I grew up in a small, very, very small all-black town, um, West Perrine, and I grew up there in the 70s, 80s, moved away in the 90s to attend college in North Florida. And it was not until I went away to college that I realized that to other people, I sounded different. Like in my household, my mom made us speak proper English, But when we were not in a school setting, we, you know, we spoke the way that we spoke. And I didn't know until I left my community that the way that we spoke was different from everybody else. Because I just grew up hearing certain things said, hearing certain phrases. Um, I grew up in a culture where hoodoo was the norm like it was not something that was abstract, it was not something that was weird, it was not something that was strange. It was just things that we knew and understood because our elders taught them to us or told it to us or explained certain things to us. So it was not until I left my little enclave of an all-Black community in the South, very small town, that I go away to college And people are like, are you from North Carolina? Are you from South Carolina? I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm from South Florida. What are you talking about? They're like, you sound like somebody from North Carolina. And, you know, I was like, okay, I have family from North Carolina. My mom was born in North Carolina. My, you know, my maternal family line is from North Carolina. And they're like, oh, okay, that's what it is. That's what it is, because you don't sound like you're South from South Florida. And I said, well, what does South Floridians sound like? What do Miamians sound like? Because even in that, it literally is a melting pot in Miami. So, yes, I grew up in a very, very small um, black town, but we had Jamaicans in our town. We have Bahamians. We have Haitians. We have some Puerto Ricans, we have some Mexicans, and then later in the 80s came the Cubans. So I've always had a mixture of different people, right, or different different ethnic groups and cultures that I grew up around. And it, I found it very interesting that even though that was the case, they could still hear my, I guess, distinct North Carolinian <laughs> vernacular. So once I pointed out, okay, yeah, my maternal line is from North Carolina, South Carolina, um, through the enslavement trade from moving from Charleston into North Carolina, they were like, aha, that's what it is. And so apparently this is definitely a thing, right? Interestingly, she says, many of the kumyas are educators, people who are moving into um, the corridor for Gullah Geechee are educators, new graduates who are eager to enjoy the Charleston scenery and teach the youth of the low country. As you can imagine, many teachers who come ya are unaware of the cultural and linguistic differences that they will encounter when they walk into their classrooms. While this is not meant to be a comprehensive or in-depth presentation of Gullah Geechee history, culture or language, which we're going to get into over here. It is a seed, a seed that will undoubtedly bloom after continued study into appreciation of this unique U.S. culture, a culture and language that isn't going anywhere. To the Benya, and you know exactly what it means to be a Gullah Geechee. This book is for you. It is a celebration of all the things that make you unique. It is homage to the sacrifices made, the community built, the plans to preserve what we know to be a gift to this world. I hope as you read, you will learn at least one new thing, find joy in seeing the places you've been, and experience excitement when you read the words and phrases that so easily roll off your tongue. And I think this was the most uh, enjoyable thing about this book is seeing in writing So many phrases that I grew up saying or that I grew up hearing. Um, And so I think she's done a fantastic work with detailing Gullah Geechee um, language and dialect. You are Gullah Geechee and you should be proud. History. The history books do not tell the story about the development of Gullah Geechee. What we know about the development of Gullah Geechee is what has been passed down orally through generations of Gullah Geechee descendants. And this is true. Um, My grandmothers, rest their souls, are no longer here. But I remember my paternal grandmother specifically telling me how her mother had been um, a sharecropper. Her mother had been a sharecropper. So my great-grandmother in Georgia And she had been a child working under her mother, picking cotton. So when people talk to me about how far away slavery was ago, I'm like, no, it wasn't quite that far. Okay. My great grandmother was a sharecropper. My grandmother was a child picking cotton under her mother as a sharecropper. On the same plantation that her family had been enslaved on. And by the way, we've met those descendants on the other side. They still own that property, by the way. It's been turned into an orangery in Georgia. So my grandmother left that sharecropping space and went down to Florida at a young age. She leaves her family and she travels further down into Florida. So that's how she winds up in Florida. She left her mom, who was still a sharecropper. By the time she left, she was in her teens and moved down to Florida. So it's not that far removed. People want to make it like it's hundreds of years removed, like the legacy of enslavement and all that. It's not. It's not that far removed. What we know about the development of Gullah Geechee is what was passed down orally through generations of Gullah Geechee descendants. Now, as my grandmother moves into this community, Um, And she becomes friends with the people who are in that community. And I grew up in that community. I hear from the elders in my community about the people and how my little town got formed. They start telling, kind of sharing little bits of it, that there are people in my town who were um, black Indians and that there was some fights that went on. And that, you know, most of the people in our community, they owned their land and they owned their houses. But it wasn't until recently that I started looking further into that history to realize that there is an extensive history right there in South Florida that has to do with, um, in in my community specifically, that has to do with the second Seminole War. So I'm not going to talk about that today because I've got to do a little bit more digging But I learned about something called the Battle of Dade. And if you're a Floridian, 305 Dade County, go look up the Battle of Dade and find out what happened in early Dade County with the Seminoles in the Seminole War. Although the complete history is not included in the textbooks, it is rich and has shaped black culture as we know it in America today. The 15th century was an interesting time in world history. New nations were developing while others were thriving. The second largest continent, Africa, was home to kings, queens, doctors, lawyers, dentists, farmers, merchants, and midwives, although they may not have had those modern titles at the time. Most importantly, there were people who lived and had established lives, homes, and families, They enjoyed the simplicity and beauty of life. They had plans for having and raising children. Plans for going to family gatherings. Plans for what to do on the weekend. Plans to not be stolen and forced into a life of servitude, right? We've heard the recent lie, and that's what it is, that slavery was a benefit to black people. It's like, no, slavery was not a benefit to black people. Black people were a benefit to the system of enslavement because you're stealing doctors and lawyers and dentists and farmers and merchants and midwives from the continent. And you're bringing them over to be those working hands for you who are unskilled. So they use their vast knowledge of the land to provide for their families and those closest to them. The United States was officially formed and like all startup businesses, the need for money became increasingly apparent. European settlers and leaders realized the need to establish infrastructure and economy. Mm -hmm. That establishment changed our ancestors' lives and the course of history. The transatlantic slave trade was the largest, most complex global transport and sale of humans in recorded history large ships were taken across the Atlantic Ocean from North America and Europe to Africa while there thousands of African people were shackled and transported on long and dangerous journeys to North America they were systematically separated from their tribes and from their families now a lot of times when I hear you know, the phrase about who we were separated from, right? She's going to get to an a interesting point here, and I'm going to drive that point home. She says, in an effort to decrease the enslaved Africans' ability to communicate with one another, they were strategically separated from their families and friends who spoke the same languages Many of the enslaved spoke various African languages that were not mutually exclusive. It is often perpetrated or put out that, oh, black people, you know, these African people, they were just, they didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to write. They didn't know how to talk. They didn't know how to speak. No, (laughs) they had their own languages. They had their own means and systems of communication. So it's not that they couldn't read. They couldn't read English. <laughs> Some of them spoke other languages. Some of them wrote in other languages. All right? So it was English. That's it. English. So we kind of have to get this notion out of our head of people just completely devoid of language and speech and culture and their own ways of communicating That's not true. They were separated from their languages and their culture. Not that they had no language or culture at all. During this journey, the enslaved were shackled together and forced to lie down shoulder to shoulder underneath the boats. This was done in an effort to transport as many people as possible in one trip. As one can imagine, the conditions were not sanitary or humane. During the Middle Passage, many suffered from illnesses, while others chose to take their own lives during the journey. And we know now that there were many rebellions, not just one or two. (laughs) And that one out of every ten rebellions was woman-led. You can read about that in the book called Wake. This journey was one of survival and endurance for the Africans who were inhumanely torn away from their lives and family. During the journey, new relationships were formed as people who were not related by blood supported one another like family. These harrowing trips and the relationships that were formed were the catalyst for social arrangements on the plantations. Now I want to point this out. I don't, I don't think that this is, I, I'll i put it this way. I've never really heard anybody point this out. But when I hear people say, um, very erroneously, that Black Americans don't have a culture mm-hmm. or that Black Americans mm-hmm. um, don't know where they come from, right? Through things like DNA, like I can from my maternal line my dna shows that i have um bantu ancestry nigerian ancestry mali malian ancestry and congolese ancestry and i think senegal might be another one right and so no, we can't pinpoint and say, I come from just this one region. I come from just this one tribe. Because of the system of enslavement and because of chattel breeding of the enslaved, I cannot pinpoint and say, I just come from this one group of people. And at the same time, I see that as a gift. Because globally, when we say African-American, we literally can say African-American and not just Nigerian-American or not just Congolese-American or not just Malian-American. We can literally fit African-American as a realistic term. Why? Because many of us are the culmination of many parts of the continent of Africa. So for me, it makes sense to say African-American because, again, we were mixed from different tribes. So if I... I'm I'm not the only one, right, who has taken a DNA test and seen that I have more than one country from Africa as a part of my genetic makeup. Now, in that, I don't see that as a weakness. I see that as <laughs> one of the reasons why people are so mad with some of us now because <clears throat> I'm taking my time with this because you all who participated the the you are the descendants of people who participated in shadow breeding and in shadow enslavement and in shadow breeding they were breeding breeding the best of the best The best of the best, because that's what people do when they don't see you as human beings, right? They were treated like chattel or cattle. So they were breeding the best of the best with the best of the best, with the best of the best, with the best of the best. And then you have the nerve (laughs) to be upset because of what you did <laughs> in enslavement. So don't be upset that Shikari Richardson is the fastest woman in the world right now. I'm just saying. We didn't ask for you to do that to our ancestors, but we are the descendants of the best, 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 of the best. So now you can't get upset when you are being surpassed in certain areas because your ancestors were doing the breeding. I'm just saying, Just, just, just let that sit for a moment. So when people say, are you black American? Are you African American? I go I use I utilize both because I understand that I am more than one my genetics is more than one part of Africa it's several countries and I'll take them all Mhm yes I will <laughs> I celebrate all of them Here's what she has to say and I'm going to stop right here for today Upon arrival in the United States, historians agree that approximately 40% of the enslaved Africans were brought to the city of Charleston, South Carolina, to be sold. 40%. Approximately 40% passed through the gateway, the corridor, of the city of Charleston, South Carolina, to be sold. Now, I know this to be true. On both my maternal line and my paternal line. Both of my ancestors passed through, both sides passed through Charleston, South Carolina. Now I didn't know this before I visited Charleston, South Carolina and fell in love with the city. It's an amazing city. I can't wait to go back and see the museum because I know I'm going to have all the feels, but it's an amazing city. It's a very spiritual city if you've never been there. Um, If you are a spiritual person, you will more than likely feel and sense the energy in the presence of the ancestors because it is really strong in Charleston, South Carolina. It's also really strong in Savannah, Georgia, by the way. They were dispersed to the various plantations in the United States to work as free laborers and property of their owners. Many of the enslaved were placed on plantations along the coast, stretching from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And my paternal descendants, my paternal line, they started in South Carolina. Then they moved to North Carolina. And then one of the sons um, took his group of enslaved persons And they moved to Georgia, and that's where my family came in. And from Georgia, my family goes down into Florida. So this coastal region is currently known as the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor. It was along this corridor on the islands like Wadmala, St. James Island, St. Helena Island, and inland areas like Awenda. Wando and Huger and Edisto that the Gullah Geechee language was born. Enslaved Africans were responsible for the daily running of the plantation from the house to the fields. Communication may have been difficult among them as they were now separated from their families and tribes and placed with others who looked like them but did not speak the same language. Additionally many were required to work in the plantation home but were not able to speak the English of their owners. Remember they were not able to speak or read English but that did not mean that they did not have other language ability. The need for communication for buying and selling is the typical catalyst for the formation of a pig pigeon language variety. In the case of Gullah Geechee the enslaved borrowed some English grammar and mixed it with the vocabulary of African languages like Mende, Hinto, Yoruba, and Creole, creating a pidgin variety that was only used for communication. This new common language or pidgin was taught to children becoming their first and only language in the place of African languages of their caregivers or English of their owners. The newly formed English-based Creole is what we know today as the Gullah Geechee language. While we do not know exactly how the name Gullah Geechee came to be the name of the language, there are several theories and connections that have been made based on the African tribes that were represented in the Corridor region. The name Gullah potentially derived from the Gola people of Angola, while Geechee is thought to be from the Gidzi people of Sierra Leone. Other geographical distinctions are those who live near the Ogeechee River in Georgia, and they are simply referred to as Geechee, while those who reside on the South Carolina Sea Islands identify only as Gullah, or the combined Gullah-Geechee. Regardless of the in-group distinctions, the Gullah-Geechee people are unified in the language and culture created by their ancestors, as evidence of the African life Culture and language that they were forced to leave behind. All right, so that is our introduction. I highly encourage people, especially um, if you live in the Gullah Geechee Corridor, if you live in the Sea Islands, to get this book. Get this book. It's very tiny. I love it though. Easy read. You can read this maybe in a couple of hours. But as you can see, I'm kind of stopping and conversing. And then also, this is a very, very quick read. It's called The Gullah. Very fast read. You can probably read it in a couple of hours um, to get started on learning about the Gullah Geechee people. All right. I am going to open it up for some conversation. Um, I've got a lot swirling around in my mind about the Gullah Geechee people, just things that I know. um, But I'm going to try to hold it until next session when we get more into the language parts. All Mm -hmm. right. If you would like to come on and talk, maybe you are a Gullah Geechee descendant or maybe you're Gullah Geechee and you want to come and join in on the conversation and tell us a little bit about your area or your region. Feel free to click on the camera there and we can chop it up a little bit. I've got about a good 10, 12 minutes here. Any questions? I don't see any questions in the comments. If you are listening by Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, I want to thank you for your time and attention. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host today, Shantae Charles. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness, so continue to go out and be light.